0: This guy pulls me aside and says, hey, how you doing? You know, my name's Ed, and I really like born to run. Hey, uh, so what's your fastest 10K time? You know, like, we're about the same age. What's your time? And this guy was, like, so interested to find out whether he was, like, a little bit faster than me or a little bit slower. And I am like, dude, you're just proving my point. Like, who, who gives a sh? What do you care if I am faster or slower than you at a 10K? Hi.
1: I'm Doug from Fartlux and 5Ks, and I'm a big-ass runner from Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome to the Big Ass Runner podcast, where we entertain and encourage trail runners from
0: all over the world.
1: Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Harrell. Well, thank you, Doug. That was an OG intro from way back in the day appreciate Doug doing that way back then and love bringing it back now. Well, my name is Jeff Harrell. I am the host of the Big Ass Runner trail running podcast. This is episode number 123. If you're new to the show, welcome. We have a lot of fun. We're here to encourage and entertain the everyday trail runner. And you have joined us at a good time because this is a very special episode, a little different than most of our episodes. Today, I get the great honor and pleasure of interviewing Chris McDougall and Eric Orton. And you may be familiar with Chris's name. He wrote a book that really impacted me as a trail runner, as someone who enjoys history and suspense and adventure and Mexico. He wrote the book Born to Run. If you have not read that, go get it. right. Stop what you're doing. Go out and get it. It is awesome. And he teamed up with a running coach, Eric Orton, who actually worked with Chris. And by the way, Born to Run really launched this interest in minimalist running in sandal running running in sandals and all kinds of things just a great book very if you haven't read it again adventure fun, it's it is like six books into one it is awesome we talk a little bit about that in the interview but chris and eric are here they have written a follow up born to run 2 You'll hear why. It's a very different book in a lot of ways, but very similar book in other ways. But Chris joins us from Hawaii and Eric from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. You're really going to enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, let's get going on episode 123 of The Big Ass Runner. Well, now joining me on the big ass runner hotline are the co-authors of born to run Two: the ultimate training guide, Chris McDougall and Eric Orton. Fellas, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. I'm super excited to talk to you because I'll be quite honest. Born to run is one of my favorite books. I have it here in the podcast studio. I read it every couple of years. And I think I love it because it uh, it it's got history, right? You learn about the the Mexican Copper Canyons, the, the Tatomata tribe, these super runners, these super athletes. It's got adventure, you know. You don't know who or what you're going to come across. It's got mystery, you know. Who is this this Caballo Blanco? Colorful characters from you know Barefoot Ted and Jen Shelton and Billy Bonehead. But I think at the end of the day, it's just great storytelling. And I was actually talking to my wife last night about it. It's one of her favorite books as well. And I think for the runners in us, we get inspired by this story, and we're like, okay, we you know this is the first time we've actually heard about trail running, perhaps, or ultra running. And we get super excited. And then, Chris, I know you've heard all this before because you tend to get the the question, I can't wait to begin, where do I start? So Chris, I'd love to have you talk about kind of the why that you guys created this book.
0: Yeah, it's a a funny thing because after Born to Run came out, to me, I thought it was pretty clear in that book that I am a rookie, you know? I am virgin snow in this sport. And yet I got bombarded and and still do to this day from people asking me for technical training advice what shoes should I get? How should I train? How should I prepare for a marathon? What should I eat? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me refresh your memory. (laughs) I'm not that guy. You know, I'm the guy that is still trying to figure this stuff out. And now, you know, Born to Run came out in 2009 and it finally dawned on me that, you know, actually, maybe the time has come to answer some of those questions because I'm sort of living proof that it can work. You know, the whole premise of Born to Run is, Humans were born to this. This is what we're great at. We are as good at running as fish artists swimming. But if that's true, there's got to be a behavior you can learn. And now, 13, 14 years later, I think I'm living proof that you know what? You learn a behavior, you'll get the benefits. And so I thought, let's call up the guy who made it all happen. Let's call Eric up and say, my man, let's, let's collaborate. Let's take everything in your brain, put it on the page, and do a sequel to Born to Run 2. Basically, make Born to Run 2 the book I wish I had before I wrote Born to Run.
1: And I definitely want to dive into the book itself. And Eric, I'll ask you a couple questions here in a second, but Chris, I want to stay with you for a minute because as I read Born to Run 2, I was actually in, in I and was, I was telling Eric earlier, I was in uh, Breckenridge, Colorado reading it. So it was, it was, it was a great time to kind of focus on it, but you include, it's very practical. It's a very practical book. And it, like it said, it's a guide but you were still able to weave stories and storytelling and colorful characters into the book. Was that important to kind of keep that same kind of vibe that you had from the, from the first
0: book? It's irrepressible. I can't stop it. And <laughs> it's kind of funny because I was trying to be very disciplined and strict with myself. I was like, this book is going to answer the questions people have. People want to learn about running form. They want to know how to dial in their food. They want to un- understand how to cure their injuries. Chris, stay focused. And yet, I kept meeting people like Karma Park, you know, and Chelsea Luger and Tosh Collins. And I was so beyond fascinated. I was so heartened and enchanted by their stories. And the Santa Mujeres runners, who I just have it's a massive love for, and <laughs> I think Eric was kind of amused by the fact that I'm like, I did, you know, we're gonna get right down to it, right down to the drills. And then I'd send him a first couple of chapters and it's, you know, 10,000 words of st- narrative, of storytelling. But I, I made peace with myself with that in the sense that running should be joyful and fun and communal. It should be a, a shared social activity and storytelling conversation is part of that. Everything that we love in life, is attached to a story, and so that's, that's what we ended up with. For better or worse, man, I just cannot, I can't get it out of my system. Well, as as a non biased
1: observer here, that's read both. It, it felt like it had the same kind of vibe, which I really appreciate. I think too, as a content creator, and hopefully you know, try to tell stories as well. I just, I felt like it just it added that heart element to it and it's certainly there's a head you want to learn but that heart engagement i think is so important and one of the reasons i love trail running so so yeah i i just enjoyed that as well getting to meet people like you know batman the adventure dog so it really appreciate a lot of the stories that you wove through there the book is broken up into three parts the first part is born to run and and i would love to ask you, Eric, as a, as a running coach, I know you created a lot of this, uh, curriculum, talk about this run free feeling. I'd love to know what, what you mean by that, because I think a lot of us that are out there, you know, just hitting the trails every week. Sometimes it feels hard, it feels difficult running, running can be hard. And, and for me as a former basketball player, you know, running is what you did when you messed up, you had to run the line. So talk a little bit about what that run free feeling is.
2: Well, I think, you know, you, you hit it. When you said that for many of us, running is difficult. And I think part of the run free message is that the difficulty should be by choice, not, not the only option. And we're, we're giving seven principles where there's run form, run strength, food, fun, family, all, all these free things that's out there that can contribute to making run fun for you in your own way. And using Chris as an example of, of taking all of this and kind of packaging it in a fun way that allows you to have a foundation for your running, for you to take anywhere, anytime, for as long as you want. And it's it's under your decision, not not because you're lacking either in run form or fitness and every everything is, should be hard. Running should not be hard. It should be a choice whether it's hard or not.
1: And I think that's a message that a lot of us need to hear because we do feel like if it's not hard, I'm not pushing myself enough or I'm not, you know, getting doing the things I need to be doing. But as I read through your book, I realized, no, that's not the case. Now, now there are times where it probably does feel hard, but to your point, those are times when you're trying to go fast or trying to push yourself. It shouldn't always feel that way. And I, I mentioned before, you know, you guys are talking to the big ass runner herd. We're everyday runners out there just trying to get a little bit better, get that 1% better every day. So I'd love Eric, if you had any words of encouragement for those everyday runners, you know, can you retrain yourself cuz know you're a lot about you know, running free, running free from injury as well. Can you relearn, can you retrain how you run?
2: Oh, absolutely. And and that that's what this book's all about. If 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 that's what you need. Or it's, it's for the runner who's been running for a very long time, who's kind of gotten into a rut. This, this is kind of a reboot for every, every type of runner because our bodies are meant to work in one way. And therefore, the message is the same, regardless of what the runner is out there. So it's, you know, in, in kind of getting back to the kind of the intensity of the hardness is that a lot of times people either think running should be hard because they're wanting to lose weight. You know, we start out food as our first free seven um, points, and how we can separate food and running. And I like to say, you know, change your change your weight with your food choices affect your running with your running, and not combine the two. So it's it's learning to run easy, so you can be efficient and cr- not combining this intensity because it has to be a workout, so to speak. Most runners need to learn how to run easily well. I love that. And we're going to dive
1: into the the seven, yeah. the free seven here in a second. But before we get to that, one of the things I loved about the first part, and maybe it's because I'm a Clydesdale, I'm a, I'm a bigger runner. And the reason I run is I love the aid stations where I can snack on some things. <laughs> now we're going to talk about food here in a second. But you guys have at the beginning these movement snacks, and it's not the kind of snacks that I'm probably thinking about right now. But Chris, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what what those are and maybe a couple of of favorites that you have.
0: You mentioned you played ball, Jeff, back in the day. Basketball. One of my lasting memories of playing high school basketball was I was a sophomore, 10th grader, and there's a guy named Earl who was a senior. And this guy used to just run circles around me. I'm, you know, huffing up and back and down the court. And uh, this guy Earl just pulls me aside one day and he's like, my man, you got no flow. You got to get some flow. And it made perfect sense. The reason why Earl was – one of the reasons he's such a great player was he knew where he had to be, how much effort it was going to take to get him there, and that's where he went. He wasn't charging around all the time. I think a lot of us, when we run – We go out the door, we hit one gear, and we just churn along at that gear, nothing else. So our beginning pace is basically the same as our ending pace, and all we're doing is grind it along in, like, third gear the whole time. There's no flow. There's no back and forth. And that, I think, is to Eric's point. Running as adults should be like running as kids. You know, kids are not just like, okay, I got 40 minutes. I'm just going to run in circles for 40 minutes. No, they're sprinting and stopping and walking and dodging and hiding behind a tree. And there's a whole sense of of freedom and flow and fun. And Movement Snacks really ties into it. I was in London researching parkour, of all things. And a lot of us have this idea that parkour is about like doing triple backflips off the back of a parking garage and land on the roof of somebody's car. But it's really about that same kind of free Flow, kind of recreational style movement lots of flips and rolls and precision jumps and the way that parkour people warm up is like they don't stand there and they don't like grab their ankle and like you know pull their knee behind their butt or do this kind of half ass calf stretches leaning against the wall that runners do you know oh and it's uncomfortable it must be good for me what the parkour people that I trained with do is this functional movement these kind of movement snacks so my friend Julie angel, who was a parkour specialist and filmmaker really cued me in on this. But that first parkour session, all the athletes were gathered in a parking lot and they formed in a circle. And they all got down on their hands and feet like bears. And they kind of bear walked into the center of the circle. So they all kind of converged in the center in the hub. And everyone would reach over and shake hands with somebody else. So you're balanced on your left hand while you're shaking with your right. And then they bear walk back to the perimeter again. They do that two or three times and you hop up. Well, if you do that, You're warmed up, dude. You've just now loosened every like muscle chain from tip of your nose to the tip of your the end of your feet. So that's what we did with Born to Run. Instead of these half-assed static stretches that don't do anything that everybody basically ignores, we got these cool functional, fun movements that actually benefit you uh, immediately, and then also are great for injury prevention. And I'm
1: going to ask Eric a little bit about this, the free seven. But Chris, do you have a favorite? 100 Up, the ones that you talk about in the book?
0: Yeah, shockingly, one of the ones I would have resisted the most, it's an Eric Orton specialty. And the reason I like it is because it's kind of a game. So Eric's thing is, uh, I think his, his one of his big go-tos uh, has got to be running over locks. And it's basically, you, know, you get a bunch of people, you take your shoes off, and you form a ladder on the ground in your shoes, and you, you run over them. What I love about it is it's, it feels like a game, it feels playful, and it's harder than you think, but it's way more rewarding. And every time you finish one sequence, you can't wait to run around and go back and do it again. And we've done this exercise in, in, inside, like in buildings, and parking lots, wherever, and people don't want to stop. Once they start running logs, they love it and don't want to quit.
1: And there's a bunch of movement snacks in the book I, I really enjoyed. So thank you for sharing that one. Well, Eric, I'd love to turn to the free seven. I know this is kind of the meat of the program. And as you mentioned before, you start with food. I always start with food. So I'm glad you guys started with food as well. You say your fork is
2: not your coach. Tell us a little bit more about that. The, the whole premise of the whole book is creating awareness. And, and I've, I've trained Olympic professional athletes all the way to beginners and any good athlete has awareness of what they put in their body. And it's, it's really that, that comment really steers people to the idea that what we put in our body does have effects, whether we know it or not. And we're truly trying to challenge them to be able to feel what good and bad is as far as how their body feels relative to what they're putting in their, their mouth. And that's where we're, you're getting away from what, you know, just shoving something in your body to having the awareness of what you're putting in your body and how it makes you feel. Yeah, like I think a lot of times, and I've heard this before, I'm sure you guys have heard
1: it too. I, I run so that I can eat whatever I want. Right. And and that's one, that's one way to do it. But I guess if you're trying to improve your running, that's, you got to think of, of food as as fuel and not as a reward necessarily. Although it can be. I think you've got to go and change your mindset a little bit.
0: Well, that's one of the big difficulties, Jeff, is that if you get into, and I think most people who get involved in running today get involved because of some kind of relationship with food. Either they're out of shape and they want to lose a few pounds or they say exactly what you said is that, hey, I only run so I can eat whatever I want. But if, if that's your motivation, then you are constantly on the losing end of the hamster wheel. You are dictating how much and how fast and how far you run based on your food, but you will never, ever catch up with your caloric intake. You will always be behind the curve. And so we tell people, look, you know what? If you want to enjoy your running, get the punitive aspect out of it. You know, you're don't basically, if that's why you're running, then you're punishing yourself for pepperoni pizza. So let's get that off the table. Let's get your eating and your nutrition dialed in. It's not difficult. It doesn't have to be dis- hard discipline. And once you get your, your eating dialed in, then you're free to really have fun with your running.
1: And you guys have a great two-week challenge that you outline in the in the book, and I don't want to give too much away. I want people to buy the book and find out what that is. So, Eric, let's move to the and all these, by the way, start with F, which is is good for me keeps me keeps me uh, in line. Number two is fitness, and you say become the master mechanic. Talk to us a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, that's that's just really training the structural system to be able to run really well, however you want to run and feel good about it. And my whole thing is that every step we take as runners should be a form of strength training. And the more steps we can take, the more we run, the better we should feel. And this is a core program to create that structural system. So we feel good as runners and not feel like we're always tight. You know, I I think we, we kind of hear or experience that Hey, if if we're a runner, if we're a long distance runner, if we do ultra marathons, we're just part of the course of that is to be tight and to have all this muscle tightness. And that's that shouldn't be the case. And it's it's learning to use the body in a better way. So there's equilibrium within the muscles. And we've come up with a simple again, most good things are very simple, but very potent thing that people can do while they're out running. So, they don't have to take extra time to go to the gym to do all this. All this stuff can be out during being done during your run, so you're you're building a structural system while you're running, and that's it's really kind of helping people to feel what good can feel like. I love that my my
1: running coach talks about better runners tend to be better athletes too, so yeah. Exactly, kind of like, you, as you mentioned, getting that structure, getting those things in place so that you can become and be a better runner.
2: Well, and, and, and especially, you know, most, most of the hurdles are not cardiovascular. I mean, most runners right. will get their, they know how to build a long run, right? They know how to build cardiovascular fitness. Most of the challenge is how our bodies feel. And, you know, if you're not available, you don't have ability. And we're, we're making more people available. It's great. I was at a, a run
1: this weekend, a, an endurance r- race out in Oklahoma, and I, I, I didn't run myself. My son was running his first trail race, so I was there to support him. But I noticed the, the leaders in the, of the pack on the 100K and the 100 milers coming in. This is a real muddy course, but they'd come in, and they just look like so smooth, so easy. And that's your, your third F here, form, the art of easy. Because when I see videos of myself running, I'm like, that doesn't look easy at all. Eric, talk to us a little bit about, about form and and why it's so
2: important. Well, in, in, in the kind of the fitness and the form go together. And we, we talked about what order we should put them in because they're really, I see it as no differently. You know, our strength is really an application of our form and our form is really an application of our strength. And if we start to see that every step, if done properly is a form of strength training that completely changes our mindset as runners. And so that hopefully can give people the patience that this is an art. See, this is something that you kind of garner through time that you just continue to get better and better at. So many athletes just want to learn and flip that switch and they, they go to a clinic and they learned it and now they can do it. Well, it's, it's the application of it. And that's that's what this is all about is really giving – a practical way for you to feel what good form is. And I think that's the key is it's not what it looks like. It's not what video or photo you take to see what you look like. We want you to feel good form. So then as you run, you can feel that good feeling and continue to replicate it. I, I coach swimming. It's just like swimming. Swimmers, when they're swimming, they feel good and bad strokes and they adjust accordingly. And I want people to feel that while they're running so they can adjust accordingly so they continue that, that path down, kind of that mastery.
0: Hey, Eric, hey I can't even tell you this yet. I just had a, a swimming breakthrough recently. After years and years and years of thinking I was a pretty good swimmer. And the other day, so we, we I have this route that I, I call it the Aquaman. Yeah. You know, it's like a three-mile run and a quarter-mile open-water swim, and then about a two-mile run again. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the swim, you know how you're supposed to like scissor kick, yep. right? Your, your legs are straight, yep. and you're and you're scissor kicking. And I always thought I had for 30 years, whatever it's been. I feel like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. And all of a sudden, I realized, you know what? I'm actually not scissor kicking from my hips. I'm kind of doing it from my thighs. And I wasn't really locking my leg out and actually propelling – from the hip joint i was pretty much muscling it from my thigh and in that moment i just changed it and two things happened number one was oh this kind of feels a little harder you know it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's taking me a little bit more work but i'm actually swimming way better you know i'm propelling myself better through the water and in that moment I thought, oh you know what every time you think you have your form dialed in circle back and double check it but it's so gratifying because You know, swimming is, let's say, let's all agree, it's the most monotonous of all the exercises. (laughs) Nothing sucks worse than swimming. And the guys who do these open water swims for two hours, I don't know what's going on inside their brains, you know, whether they're, like, reciting the entire Bible to themselves, you know, uh, because I don't know what you can do to keep yourself from being unbored during a two-hour swim. Except for me, like, oh, if I'm focusing on form from now on, my swim is now pretty – Pretty entertaining. It's pretty engaging. So, yeah, man, I'll be, I'll be getting back in touch with you now, as my, as my swimming progresses to the next level. I just want to come out and do that ultraman thing. I want to, I want to do your course. I know you do. I know you do. I got, I got a whole new one, dude. I've added, I've added mileage to it. I, I've uh, basically quadrupled it to like a mile and a half swim and a eight mile run. It's pretty, it's pretty. Normal. I haven't done it yet, but I'll let you All know. Right. I'll let you know for the groundbreaking.
1: Cool. Hey, I'd love to follow up on something you said, Chris, you, you said, you when you figured it out, it, it felt harder, but, but I know that it, the, the form was correct. And I, and I found that to be true because I'm working on my form. I tend to scoot. So I'm trying to get my legs. You know, I think you talk about it in Born to Run, you know, lead with your knees and get your knees up. But when I do that, it feels harder. Is that, is that natural? Is that part of the learning process? Does it feel harder because your body's like, wait a minute, this isn't how we do it. Talk to us, either Eric or Chris, talk a little bit about that. Is it, does it going to feel harder in the short term, but if you stay after it, stay with it, it it starts to get easier?
0: I'll say, let me start first, Eric, because I'm the guy who's actually uh, had to learn it. Yes, you know, it is a learned behavior and your body will naturally gravitate toward what it knows because what it knows is energy efficient at that moment. Your brain and your body is an incredible energy conservation monster we have bodies that are created for movement but we have brains that are trying to conserve energy at all costs because for most of our evolutionary history up until basically the last hundred years or so your legs were your only way to get you, you know, out of trouble and get you to food and most of your food you had to like fight it to death in order to have dinner and so your body always had to have a nice reserve tank of fuel uh, now we don't need that. So we're basically serving energy all the time and never using it. So what your body would do is once it learned a behavior, it would drift to that because it is much more fluid in that moment. However, that could be a very super inefficient way. You know, it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen this, uh, probably not, but my, um, when I was living in Madrid, my girlfriend's uh, grandmother in a uh, Spanish suburb, you could always hear her coming five miles away because she would just put her car in the first gear and she just drove everywhere in first gear. So you hear this engine revving from like five miles away. Like, okay, here comes Abuela. For her, that was easy. I put it into one gear and I go. Of course, it's horrible for the car and horrible for the fuel. So for me, learning what Eric was teaching me initially was difficult and caused me to think a lot. And thinking slows down your movement. However, there are two things that would happen. Every once in a while, you get that breakthrough stride where it feels perfect and it's just like you dude if you're uh, uh, Jeff if you're out there trying to shoot threes you're clanking you're airballing you're clanking and all of a sudden you get it it's not because the ball you knew the ball was going to go in the second I left your hand absolutely you know without even watching it because you felt it and so I'm going to run early on you know under Eric's instruction and it'll be, oh this sucks this sucks this sucks whoa I felt good oh this just sucks it sucks it sucks oh I felt good again And then, what you try to do is you just try to minimize the it sucks strides and maximize the this feels great strides. So, now I just want to throw it to you because I got to put your hand on the Bible, dude, and ask you for the the gospel truth. You were saying at these running clinics and these photo sessions that I had the best
2: form out there. Now, come on, man, give it to me straight. I can't be true. You You and Bender, once Bender got there, you had competition. Uh-oh. No, no, with without a doubt. I don't take that back. I I, I definitely think you do. And because I, I know how much you think about it and work on it. And for you and you're running, that's that's always the top of what you're thinking about. You're always concerned about your your form. And that's that's your number one thing that you think about while you're out running. And I know how much you put into it, you know. And then it goes back to what I was saying earlier about this being an art and, and something that you, you know, you master through time here, you're 15 plus years into it and you're still, you know, looking for that perfect swish, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: Eric, is there any words of it? Cause I, this is really resonating with me cause I, I am working on my form right now. Cause I know I need to, to stay injury free as I am. I'm an older athlete and I, I recognize that and I want to stay injury free. Is there kind of a rule of thumb? Like certain amount of time or any, any kind of any encouragement that you can give to those listening right now that are doing the same, trying to work on their form?
2: Well, I, Rock lobster. <laughs> exactly. Rock lobster. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you, you've you read it, you know, there's, there's so many simple ways that we've put in the book to really, again, feel what that run form is like. And we, we, we put you on a, against a wall and have you run in place to the, the sound of rock lobster, so now you can feel cadence and your proper foot strike. So again, I, I think to answer your question, it's what I see athletes tend to do is that they learn how to run, which in our book, we mentioned it takes five minutes. I can teach you how to run in five minutes, but it's that muscle memory that we're looking for, right? It's, it's how, how yeah. long can I run well? And I want to be run longer and longer and longer. But what tends to happen is that the athlete since there maybe is this challenge that it takes some time, they think they need to learn more. And then they get frustrated because they don't need to learn more. They need to practice more. And we're we're talking about basketball. You know, if you look at a, a free throw shooter, you know, he's after practice, he's doing his 100 free throws, right? He's practicing his form. So when it comes game time, he can't get it wrong. And if we start to see our running as practice, say, instead of saying, I'm going out for my workout, say, I'm going out for my practice and just notice how that completely changes the mindset. I love that. And and so don't see it as something that you're going to learn by tomorrow. See, it's something that you're going to learn by your 80s. So you can break the 80 to 84 year old age group record, right?
1: (laughs) That's great advice. I think we live in a world where, you know, the microwave world where you want, you want yeah. it now, you want it fast,
2: and things like this take time. Let, let, let me tell you this too. I think this is important. You know, there's not a run where I don't go out and continuously think about and feel my run form. And I don't say that in a bad way. I've been running all my life and I do it every run. And what happens is that initially you're going to read this book and you're going to go have to think about it. Or you're going to do the exercises and it's going to help you feel good. It's going to help you feel what good is. And then what starts to happen is through time, you don't realize you're paying attention. You don't realize that you're paying attention to how your body feels. And it becomes almost this subconscious thing that continues to take place that isn't detrimental to you enjoying your runs.
1: I know we're using different sports analogies. Yeah. It makes me think of the golfer who who shanks it. You know, he's a pro golfer, but he'll shank one to the right because yeah. uh, his elbow got you know thrown out or whatever the case may be. So we're always trying to work and improve yeah. and, and stay on top of. It. And that that actually leads us to the the fourth F of the free seven, and that's focus, faster, farther, and forever. Talk to us a little bit about what that means.
0: Yeah, I, I, think, I think the reason why I'm always um, inclined to jump in on these answers because Eric knows this stuff and I've had to learn it. And so to me, I feel like it's almost more urgent for me to grasp these things because you talk about a focus. That's something that I had to get my head around. It never dawned on me that there were other gears. I thought, well, okay, there's those sprinters sprint, distance runners just trudge along. And I was familiar with the story of Emil Zadopek, and he, he would like to talk about the fact when he was training for his first marathon, he trained by doing 100-meter dashes. And people said, Emil, you realize the race is 26 miles long? And he goes, yeah, but I thought the point was to run fast. I, I already know how to run slow. I'm trying to learn how to run fast. And most of us just ignore most of the gears in our gearbox. But Eric identifies eight different gears. Most of us use, at most, two. You know, there's that kind of warm-up jog, and then we hit that, you know, that that cruising gear, and we go the whole way, and then we slow back to that same pace at the end, and that's it. And the whole range of gears is gone. And so both for your own development, but also to really dial in your running form, you really need to focus on how fast you're going. And one way to do that is by dialing in your own physiological responses. So like the Roman centurions figure this out, you know, thousands of years ago that you can gauge your gears by how much air is coming in and out of your body. You don't need any devices to do it, but are you at a conversational pace? Are you at a singing pace? Are you at a grunting pace? And by using these physiological markers, you can figure out exactly where you are in your gear range and really vastly improve your runs.
2: Love it. And and with that, you know, we've talked about strength and form. There's so much we can do with form and strength in the gears we use and the type of runs we do. You know, Chris will tell you when we started training for the Copper Canyon 50 mile race, Chris, what did I have you do? Sprints, right? Yeah, you had me doing sprints. I mean, the very first time we ever worked out together, first time I met
0: Eric, we were in Denver City Park and I was complaining that I was always injured and couldn't run, hadn't run in a bunch of years, and you know, I was kind of a heavy set dude, and doctors told me you can't run. And I figured At most, if I ever became a recovered runner, I would be able to very sort of cautiously sort of jog a little bit. And Eric has me doing sprints. I hadn't done a sprint in like 20 years at that point. Like, who the hell sprints? Sprint is a mistake. Sprinting is what you do against your 10-year-old nephew, and you end up with a torn hamstring. So he had me doing these alternating sprints in the park. I was kind of shocked. I didn't know how to do it. The first sprint is supposed to be 30 seconds, and I gasped out after 20 because I I couldn't pace a 30-second sprint. But it very quickly taught me two things. One is that I felt lighter and more stretched out, more energized, and secondly, that my running became more consistent by sprinting as opposed to just huffing along.
1: And you guys point that out in the book. I think you say most people do it backwards. You you go slow because you think then you can start to go faster. But going faster first can help you go slow. Anything to add to that, Eric?
2: Oh yeah, I mean that, you know especially to the audience of looking to you know get into ultra running most of the age group ultra marathoners improvement is going to come through in improving their speed rather than improving their ability to go long and we have that completely opposite if if we can develop a foundation of speed then you apply that to your strength to and, and endurance to then improve your overall ability it's not just about hey can i go from 5 hours to 6 hours that that That'll come. It's it's really improving the engine and, and the the ability to have a raw speed ability to take your you know running to where you want to go as far as you know meeting cutoffs or, or increasing the distance. It's it's more about improving that speed than it is improving your endurance.
0: Yeah, you know, w- one priority we had for this book, Jeff, was we wanted to make it as user friendly. From the get-go as possible, we didn't want to tell people, well, you're going to have to get a heart rate monitor with a chest strap or you have to sign up for a program. You have to do any of this kind of stuff. What we wanted to do was dial it in so people could feel right and wrong. They could feel better or worse instantly. And that's why, for instance, you mentioned the food section. We had the two-week test. And two-week test is basically, you know what, just for two weeks, 14 days, strip out all the junk from your diet, all the high glycemic foods go back to your factory preset. And then when you eat like a cup of rice or you eat a couple pieces of bread or you eat like a, a little bit of a serving of pasta, you're going to feel your body's response instantly. So you don't have to count calories or consult any kind of a guide. The idea is reboot your body's awareness of what how it's reacting to the food. And the same thing with running form. Once you do like that rock lobster running drill, It's kind of fun. It's kind of goofy. It feels like a dance party. But it teaches your body, like, oh, this is what good running feels like. And same with focus. Once you get your breathing dialed in, after a couple days, you go for a run. You know exactly what gear you're in. And so the whole idea is you should feel the fun and the joy right off the bat. And that's what we're going to keep driving toward is the more you perfect these uh, techniques, the more joyful and happy you're going to feel when you run. Well, the sixth F is Probably, I don't know if you
1: guys would feel this way, tends to be a pretty polarizing one. That's, that's footwear. Everyone's got an opinion on, on shoes and footwear. Talk to us a little bit about that because you say footwear first do no harm.
0: Yeah. Uh, since I'm on a, a ranting, I got my <laughs> caffeine and adrenaline ramped up. It's another thing that drives me berserkers. Why is footwear controversial? I mean, why in the hell? I'll tell you why it's controversial. Because people want to sell stuff. They want to sell stuff that doesn't work. It's not necessary. So our point is, first, do no harm. The question is, when someone is selling you a piece of gear, the first question is, what's it going to do? You know, if I'm trying to sell you, if you're going to buy a new car, and they go, hey, you know what, you need the undercoating. And your first question is going to be, okay. What's it going to do? And it either give you an explanation. Either it helps you or it's bullshit and you're not paying for it. With running shoes, you walk into this bewildering store with this gigantic wall full of footwear. It's all supposed to be different and have different functions. And you ask, what's it supposed to do? And you get a bunch of rhetoric, you know. Well, this is supination and pronation and you're this and you're that. And go on the treadmill and I'm going to analyze you because I want to see some mystery in your gait that I can cure. None of that works. The whole question is, what exactly is the footwear supposed to do? And all it's supposed to do is one thing, protect you from what's underneath the foot. The cushioning, the anti-pronation, the medial posts, it's never been proven to help. And so to me, look, learn how your foot wants to function. Go back to the factory preset, strengthen your foot, let it move around a little bit. And then you only add the minimum that you need in order to protect your foot. Everything else, if it's not helping, it's just getting in the way.
1: Eric, anything to add to that? Because I know you guys talk a lot about strengthening your feet yeah. and, and doing different things to, to be able to do that. Because I think someone hears that and goes, okay, I'm going to throw away my hokas and and jump into minimalist shoes that they, they may be in for a rude awakening. So anything that people can do to kind of
2: bridge that gap? Yeah, from from a coaching perspective, uh, you know, I'm huge on the only thing we use 100% of the time as runners is our feet. And that's that's our foundation. That's our initial line of defense for everything that can go wrong as runners. And nobody trains our feet. And we, we have a whole foot core program in the book that builds our strength foundation from our feet up, which is where it starts. Our stability as runners starts with our feet. How we use our feet, directly relate to how we use our glute, and nobody understands that. We we sit and do the clamshell to strengthen our glute, but you, you can't train your glute unless it's loaded, unless you're using your feet properly. So if we start to see that, then we can understand how we can use shoes as a tool to continue to promote a good, healthy foot and good strength and good form. And so I, I don't see shoes as an all or nothing approach. It's I see shoes as a tool to accomplish what you're looking to accomplish that day. And we can use a very minimal shoe as a form of strength training. Go out for 10, 15, 30 minute minimal run. Your Every step is strength training. You're working on your form. Everything's falling into place. You build a better foundation with your feet. And then you can pick and choose the shoe that you need for the terrain. I live in the Tetons. I run mountains all the time. I need to find a shoe that's going to allow me to run over rock so they don't hurt. And I choose as minimal of an environment I can so I'm not hurting from the rock. And that's a process. What I'm running in today is not what I could run in even 10 years ago. So again, just like run form, see this as a process because it's getting our feet to work better. And it's not just an all or nothing approach as far as our shoe selection.
1: Well, I can't count very well. That was actually number, number five, because number yeah. six, I think it's probably the three of us have already talked about it. Probably my favorite is an Enneagram seven. And that's fun. And at the end of the day, we all do this, hopefully to enjoy it, to have fun. Chris, talk a little bit about why fun is so important.
0: I, I think most people I, I think running is not associated with fun. I, I think unfortunately running is associated with competition, effort, punishment. Uh it's it's one of one of the two things that bothers me most about running is how it has become so attached to things that can be marketed and sold. One of them is races and the other one is footwear. And so, you know, if you flip through a copy of Runner's World, it's constantly. Racing, racing, racing. What race have you signed up for? Race results, inspirational race stories, how you can train for a race. And then it's footwear. You know, shoe review every three months. And to me, the unfortunate thing about that is it's constantly about putting a sense of fear and doubt in people's minds. Like, oh, I better get this shoe or I'm going to get hurt. And I think that strips away all the fun and pleasure because we kind of feel like, wow, if I'm not going fast, then I'm not really doing it right. Everything comes about speed. I, I love it because I was giving a TED Talk once. And the whole purpose of the TED Talk was to talk about how, in my belief, we evolved as communal runners uh, who run socially in a pack. And as I'm walking through the lobby to head to the stage, this guy pulls me aside and says, hey, how you doing? You know, my name's Ed, and I really like Born to run. Hey, uh, so what's your fastest 10K time? You know, like we're about the same age. What's your time? And this guy was like so interested to find out whether he was like a little bit faster than me or a little bit slower. And I am like, dude, you're just proving my point. Like who, who gives a shit? What do you care if I am faster or slower than you in a 10 K? Uh, so when we talk about fun, I actually believe that of all the lessons in the book, this is going to be the one that's going to be hardest for people to learn. I think they will accept uh, some schooling about fitness and form. They will chew over footwear but if you tell people that running should feel good, it's, that's going to bounce off of them. They're, they're not going to take it in. They're going to feel like if you if it feels good, you're doing it wrong.
1: And Eric, why why do people have that feeling? As a coach, you, you probably come across this a lot. Why do people f- feel that way? Is that they're, they're trying to run too fast a pace, or what? what
2: what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I, I think there, there's a lot of dysfunction going on there. I think. You know, in a general sense, most people, most runners don't run slow enough and they don't run fast enough on opposite ends. They're always kind of in that middle. And, you know, Chris is a great example of that. He was a little inefficient. And so, therefore, he was not able to run easily well. And so every time he went out to run, he would have to speed up because it, it felt more comfortable at the time. But because he was running too fast based on the distance he was going, it was too hard and it continued to break him down. And so I I guess getting back to all the core principles of what we're talking about here, that running, when we're talking with fun, running can feel good. And I guess that's our message really, is that if, if you really see this as a practice, running can feel good. And therefore it can be fun and then explore what is fun for you. Fun is different for everybody and really follow your own, your own path as far as what's fun and not kind of fall into what you think you need to be doing or, or what other people think is fun.
0: I was going to say, you know, the patron saint of this book is really Micah True, Caballo Blanco. And so many of the things that we really, uh, advocate are things that he has, um, sort of, he had perfected. And, and again, one of them was just, was just that, you know, his, his phrase was first focus on easy. Cause if that's all you get, that ain't so bad. And, you know, for, for a weird kind of grouchy, you know, reckless who lived in a hut at the bottom of a Canyon, uh, he was really all to a lot, even the, the idea of family and fun. You know, he's not a guy you would mostly associate with fun because he always seemed like he woke up with a headache or something. But the thing, the thing about it was he created these communal gatherings. His races were all about getting people together, like sharing the knowledge, sharing the joy. They were competitive, but I felt like competition was like the third priority on the list. Number one was like learning from each other. Number two was like having a good time and entertaining each other number three was let's go out and run hard and so i feel like almost every single one of these lessons about even food caballo was sort of dialing in his diet of uh, form fitness footwear these are all things that caballo perfected on his own body as a living experiment down the canyons living with the uh the well that's a perfect
1: transition because your final final f is things. I said fun's my favorite, but but I think the family, the community, maybe maybe it's, it's if it's not tied, it may be ahead a little bit. You guys talk about how important it is to sweat together, have fun together. Talk to us about Eric. I'll start with you, and I'll go to, to Chris. Just this idea of community and family and running together.
2: Yeah, so I, I know where Chris will go with it. So I'll go a different direction, and I'll say maybe speaking more from my own experience and my athlete's experience is you know, really give a lot of gratitude to the, your support system and the, the people that support what we do as runners on a daily basis for going on long runs, traveling to races, all that, just that, that whole support system, you really need to take care of them because they're, 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 they're part of this. And that, that's what this chapter is all about. And don't ever lose sight of, of your support system.
0: And, you know, it, it goes it goes both ways. Uh, you are also supporting your system. Your support system is supporting you. So there's a group that you've heard me mention that I'm uh, infatuated with, the Santo Mujeres Runners in San Diego. These were two women began by Priscilla and Virginia. They were two Latina women in San Diego, and they actually knew each other from music clubs, and they would kind of see each other at the club. And individually, each one of them was trying to, you know, lose weight and get in shape by running. But they're out there by themselves, you know, in you know, morning hours and late hours running alone. After two or three years, they realize, wait a second, why aren't we running together? And they started to run together and they loved it. And they thought, you know what, there's gotta be a lot of other Priscillas and Virginias out there. So they kind of put the word out into the community to Latina women, like anybody who wants to run, come join us. And this club has just skyrocketed, you know, went from these two women by themselves to like fifty to hundred people gathering. Uh, on a Thursday night in San Diego. And I think the genius of what they're doing is two things. Number one is you've never finished a run with a friend where you thought, well, that was a bad idea. That that run sucked. A run with a friend is always better. And number two, it's also better for the other people too. Um, And lastly, you are demonstrating, you're kind of putting that thing out there to the world, that this is something that other people can do. You're creating that living example. One of my favorite pictures in the entire book, it's a it's a picture that you know, just kind of transfixes me. It's a black men run in Boston, a local running group for people of color in Boston. And I keep looking at this picture and I finally figured out why I love it so much. It's because the people in the picture are not staring ahead with that thousand mile stare. They're not looking down at their feet. They're not like flashing like a peace sign of the camera. They're actually looking at each other. It's like seven or eight dudes in the street and they're looking at each other and smiling and cracking up, and I think that's it. Like these guys have got it figured out. What's fun about the run is not what's in front of them; it's what's right beside them. I love that.
1: I was, as I mentioned, I was able to to go down to, or actually up to Oklahoma this weekend. My son was running his first trail race, and I opted not to run because I just wanted to support him, be there with him, cheer him on. We had tons of friends there. Everyone was camping. It was just this fun community, supporting each other. It wasn't, it wasn't about time. It wasn't about anything, but just having having each other there and supporting each other. So yeah, this is definitely one that that resonates with me. Well, guys, this has been amazing. And one of the favorite uh, segments that we do here at the Big Ass Runner is called Why I Run. And I think it's because you just kind of get the the heart, the motivation, the passion behind. Why people run? Why people are are in this trail running community? So, Eric, I'd love to start with you. Can you talk us to a little bit about what what is your why? Why do you run?
2: Yeah, that's that's a loaded question for me. So I'll tell tell a quick story. Um, back in 1998, I wrote in my journal that I had gotten past the the need to or the need to run. To I have to run, and from that point on, and that was right when I was kind of making that transformation from kind of racing a lot to coach to coaching, and I realized that, the, for lack of a better way, that running is my calling, and it's something that I, it's the only thing I'm really good at <laughs> in this world, and so I I feel like it's a calling, coaching is a calling, and therefore I have to run. Um, but within that, you know it's my creative space. Every time I go for a run, I feel like I'm an artist, I'm a creative i I can create my life um i I love running mountains. I love running up a mountain, so it feels like in any given day, I can just create this little um competition for my own self of of feeling like you're accomplishing something because you you look at at something and then in a couple hours, you're looking down at where you started. And so there's just so many different aspects that um, it, it just has created a daily lifestyle for me that just keeps giving. And I, I don't have to look forward to vacations or um, don't have to think too far ahead in my life is that it rewards me every day. And, and that's really all I need. Running's all I need other than having good health and family. I love it. Chris, what about you? What's your why?
0: So, the second we finish, Jeff, I'm going to run out the door and catch up with my friend Austin, who has his little eight month old baby on his back. And every day, these guys go on a little adventure together. And they just texted me five minutes ago saying, We're heading out. I know where they're going to be on the trail, I'm going to run after them. And to me, that's exactly the sensation I had in third grade when I knew recess was coming. Like the second that bell rings, I'm out the door running around. So for, for to me, running's gotten to the point where it is exactly the same playful release of like energy and fun that I had as an eight year old. And that's, that's exactly the why it's to me. It's, it's a serve and a cake, you know, if I get a chance to go out and run around like that's, that's just dessert.
1: I love it. I love that word. You just said that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on to playful, keep it, keep it fun. Keep it playful. I love that. well, Eric, Chris, really appreciate the time. It's been an honor to, to talk to you guys. Just the, the contribution that you guys have made to trail running and the community. Really appreciate that and just really enjoyed this conversation.
2: Thanks, Jeff. Run free, everybody. At night we ride through the in suicide machines.
1: Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris and Eric all the way from, man, Wyoming and Hawaii. Technology is amazing. Born to Run 2 is out now, I believe. So go out. it's This launches in this early December. I believe it is now available on Amazon. In fact, I'll put a direct link in the show notes in the description so you can get it for christmas time or if this you're listening to this in january or beyond pick it up it's a great book so i will link that there also we got some amazing feedback about the announcement we made with our newest partner exoskin if you have needs around socks which we all do or liners which we all do check out Exoskin. The rapid copper technology is amazing. It is moisture wicking. It is antifungal and anti-stink. It is amazing. Also, they make it where it doesn't annoy your skin. So you got these things riding on your skin all the time. They have figured this out. Go to exoskin.com and if you put in B-A-R in the discount code, you automatically get 10% off. That is fantastic. Well, thanks to everyone that was part of this show, Doug, for the intro, to Chris, and to Eric for spending some time with the big-ass runner herd. Hope you enjoyed that. And, of course, thank you to our audio engineer, Steve, Santa's little helper, Saunders.
2: Excellent!
1: With that, get out there, hit those trails, and keep running your asses off. Jackson Hole, Wyoming, you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, let's get going on episode, a very special episode of